This series contains adult language and descriptions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, um, hello, and welcome back to Death by Southwest, the podcast where each week I share a different grisly murder story unique to the American Southwest while my sister and co-host tries to piece together the clues and unravel the mystery behind each of these heinous crimes. I'm your host, Margo. And I'm Jenna. And we are here today for episode 29. And today... We are headed to Brownsville, Texas, to learn about a gut-wrenching murder case from 2003 that shocked this small southwestern community to its core. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person, too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere, online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash crimes, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash crimes to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash crimes. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. So guys, we are recording in our new studio. Well, it's not new, but in our studio room that we've converted from the actual studio to a studio room. And unfortunately, we realized that the air conditioning unit is directly next to this room, which means that you just hear like a low, shallow hum the entire time we're recording. It's hot in Arizona, so we can't really turn the air off right now in June here. But it feels cool in here because the air is going. Yes, the air is going and we can hear it, but hopefully after the editing process, you guys won't be able to. We'll see. And if you can, then we'll have to figure out a fix for these recordings until it's cool. And then the heat will be going one week (laughs) after it's cool. I know. Such a night. That's what Mark said. He was like, maybe you should move the studio room into the office room. And I was like, that would be, I think that's a cool room. It is. But also that's like right in your main area of your home. It's a cool atmosphere. It's a great atmosphere. But I was also thinking like I've seen Mark do his little work notes or whatever. Not little, but like that's a maybe area of use for people. Right. But he's like, well, look, if you guys are recording in there and I want to watch TV, he's like, I'll come in here. Yeah, he just wants this room. Yeah, he does. (laughs) 
All right, so I'm going to say nothing about this episode because it is intense. So I'll say that. But beyond that, we have, before we do our sense of place, our listeners have been really active, reaching out and sending DMs. And and we've had a bunch of people join our Patreon. And I feel like I've had a lot of interaction with listeners in the past week or so. If I have chatted with you or DM'd with you or Patreoned with you, um, you know who you are. And I just want to say thank you. We really enjoy hearing from you guys. awesome. I feel like maybe we're not at the point where we need to figure this out, but I am interested in what do we call people who, first of all, listen to the podcast, and then beyond that, what do we call our patrons? Because I just don't like that. I didn't listen. But (laughs) did you not put on what we talked about, any of what we talked about last week? I think I put uh, some of it, not all of it. So I don't know what, do people rename their patrons? I don't know. We don't have to have other people ha- having renamed their patrons for us to do it. But sure. patrons is a weird thing. Yeah, I agree. What do you think we should call? Let's just talk about listeners now, not Yeah, not patrons. patrons. Um, I don't know. I did. We had one lovely listener and patron say that he thinks that um, listeners should just be called DXSers. Like, you know, it's DXSW, but just take off the W and just DXSers, which does kind of roll off the tongue. Does it? It doesn't my tongue. <laughs> DXSers. <laughs> oh, what about excessors? Excess- it reminds me of, um, wasn't there like a 80s or 90s in excess? Yep. It kind of reminds excess. me of this. Yeah. Yep. I don't know. Can I say what you came up what, what like popped up when oh, you yeah, were I looking? Oh yeah, that was on last week. No, but Jenna was looking up like synonyms or something for followers or something mm-hmm. like that. And, and, and a word popped up that was passengers. Mm-hmm. And that to me, and I think to you, rem- reminded us both of Dexter mm-hmm. and his he called kind of his like dark alter ego, his like dark passenger. Mm-hmm. It feels a little bit fitting for this because of the context of the podcast. It does. Okay. So I was listening to Justin Long's podcast because I mm. really like him. He's, He's so likable and his yeah, brother. Yeah, he is. And they talk about like whatever, which is awesome. Today, when I was driving to work, they were putting Elmer's glue on their hands, letting it dry and talking about why do we, why do humans like this feeling? I love that Is it something about, because then they talked about like, ew, gross, but if you have a sunburn and you peel it off, is there something biological where you get rid of waste on your body when we were first homo sapiens? Wow. Why people like popping pimples. I hate that. I absolutely refuse to watch that. Oh, I would never watch it. But if I have one, I would do it. But anyways, okay, where am I going? Oh, shit. What does he call them? Something with long. Now I can't remember. We'll circle back. We'll circle back. We had talked about this before and I had said, what about like Southwesties? And then I thought that sounded too much like a Boston reference maybe. So I, or Southies. Southies. And then you said, what about Westies? And I don't kind of, I, I don't hate that, although it kind of reminds me of that small white dog. Yeah. Also, if you don't hate it, that doesn't mean we should name it. That. I don't hate it. All right. Well, we don't have to decide. Give us no, your I thoughts think, and suggestions. And we also, we don't have to call, we can just call our listeners listeners. But if anybody has any brilliant thoughts, we, we'd like to hear them. I forgot to say this on the last episode, but a, a, a late happy Father's Day to any fathers who listen to the show. We took our dad to... On an awesome little Father's Day day trip to Biosphere 2 and had a great time. I posted about it for people who follow our socials and then we put the full 30 minute video on Patreon. I like edited it and then posted it and thought, who the hell is going to watch this? It's just you, me, and dad kind of like perusing Biosphere. And I kept thinking when I was filming, I don't need to talk because I'll just go in and like add witty voiceover after the fact. And then when I was watching it, I was like, I don't have any witty voiceover to add to this. So I didn't. Well, you know, I know a lot of people like witty. I don't even know what witty voiceover. I mean, I do in theory know what it means. Also, I think either no sound and just a little light music. Mm -hmm. I'm not watching 30 minutes of anything unless it's a show I'm enthralled (laughs) in. But I think keeping it 
yeah I, more uh, brief maybe well not or even just that authentic. just authentic of yeah. like letting it be what it is adding some music or letting whatever stupid shit we said come forth i did i did do that i let all of the stupid shit we said which wasn't much we didn't talk much i think we were all kind of just taking it in anyways it's on our patreon it's about 30 minutes long it's a real um snooze <laughs> It kind of is. But it's a beautiful snooze. It is beautiful. It's really, really cool. Yeah. But one of our listeners who has listened from early on and and messaged me on Instagram, Mika, and I feel like I've talked about her before and I hope I'm saying that name correctly because she's just been lovely and very supportive. Um, And she recently joined, um, well, she recently did the free trial of our Patreon and then actually joined our Patreon, I think today. So thank you, Mika. She also told me, she recently had oral surgery, which from, I know that dad had that and I remember seeing what he went through and it looks super painful. So hopefully Mika, I just wanted to say, I hope you're doing, we hope you're doing better and recovering well. Um, while we are on the topic of Patreon, I just want to say thank you to everyone who has either joined or tried our free trial, um, which this week has been Sandra Fierro and Eric Schaefer. Mika went from free trial and joined, Robert Braverman joined. We really appreciate it. Uh, I don't want to go into it too much, but I just wanted to officially say thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, the reviews on Apple, I know, I, I don't know. I'd imagine people who who listen to podcasts but are not in the podcasting world maybe don't realize how helpful those are. The Apple reviews are huge because most people listen to podcasts on Apple. And the more reviews you have, good or bad, it kind of pushes you to the forefront of Apple's algorithm. Certainly good reviews are better. And we've gotten a couple great ones, but I did want to read a not great one. And I want to hear. At this point, I've learned to take them. They're kind of funny. So this is from Angelino12. I'm imagining that's someone who lives in Los Angeles. An Angelino. Yeah, no, I get it. Okay. <laughs> I get it. So the title is No Thanks, One Star, Great Premise, Dismal Execution. No storytelling, just irrelevant, self-indulgent, yakking, yakking, episode after episode, unfollowing. Well, sorry to see you go, Angelino. Yeah, agreed. So before we do, we have a very brief sense of place. That's why we're doing a few other things. I did just want to share one story that I got from a listener who also happens to drive trucks. And they heard our episode when we were talking about the uh, dash cams in trucks. Um, Just for privacy sake, I'm going to not share this person's name. and But I just want to give an overview of the personal experience that he shared with me because I feel like it, it really, really clearly and concisely illustrates why dash cams are important, at least in truck driving. And in cop stuff. Right. So we had talked about that um, dash cams in trucks to go over something that the truck recognizes as ooh, that could be an accident. It'll pop on and start recording. And it'll do it for 30 seconds. And assuming there's no other incidents, it'll then shut off. If it continues to recognize incident, it'll continue recording. So this listener had said, like, he heard skepticism in our voices. Because I think I was. I was like, that feels like an invasion of privacy. But you're also doing like a, I don't know if it's a government job, but a public service job. Sure. So invasion of privacy. Welcome to America. Mm-hmm. Anyways, he... This was his opinion based on his experience, and I just wanted to share it. He says that these are an invaluable tool in the industry, and he learned this firsthand. Um, He was using a dash cam in his truck even before it was implemented as kind of like uh, standard, yeah, standard operating procedure across the entire fleet. And he was driving through um, your one of your favorite places, the Pacific Northwest, and he had a suicide runner jump in front of his truck. And I, when he sent me this message, I didn't even continue reading. I messaged him and said, I, I need to know what that means specifically. I had an idea. Someone who runs in front of a truck to kill themselves? Yeah. This person ran in front of his truck and police arrived on scene and I have no idea. But it sounds like police automatically assume that the driver is texting and driving or distracted or it's somehow their fault. And that somebody was just walking on the side of the road and he happened to hit them. 
he also let me know that in this particular location in the Pacific Northwest, it's completely legal to walk on the interstate as close to that white line as you want, as long as you don't cross over it, which seems nuts. That seems incredibly dangerous. But I guess with all fatalities on a highway, it's standard protocol to be put in the back of the cop car and driven to the nearest hospital to take a blood and urine drug test to make sure that you are not intoxicated. Thank you. So that's what happened to him. And he was not. I think if you were, if this truck driver had drank the night before and maybe still had a little something in his system, but legitimately had not hit this suicide walker. What do you call him? A suicide runner. A suicide runner. Like legitimately they weren't doing it. The truck driver was just driving and this person jumped in front of the truck. But they happen to have something in their system. Like, oh, really? I mean, that's be awful. awful. That's awful. No, it's all awful. Somebody jumps in front of your truck, your car, your anything when you're driving on a highway. I mean, think about animals, that deer that jump in front of a, you know, you can't, there's no reaction time for something like that. I, I can't even imagine. Well, and if they can, whoever they are can say, okay, there's nothing in their system. The, and they have the dash cam, they can prove it wasn't the truck driver doing something wrong. Exactly the point of telling the story. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, go on. Um, he said as soon as he showed the police the dash cam footage of what really happened, he said their entire demeanor completely changed and the investigation was wrapped up within a couple of hours. The dash cam footage completely saved him and it saved his company or the company he was working for from, you know, months or years of, of lawsuits and litigation and wrongful death suits. He also explained that with truck drivers, long haul truck drivers, essentially they are automatically presumed guilty until proven otherwise. And that is why the dash cam is so important. He explained that when the cops showed up, they checked to see if this person was dead, which they were, came and read him his rights. And before he could say a word, he was taken in and nobody asked like, well, what happened? Like, you know what I mean? Nobody cared what he had to say, which is just blows my mind. But the dash cam footage, it completely changed everything. And it proved that he wasn't like distracted. He didn't swerve and hit somebody who was walking down the road, etc. So it does. I mean, it was interesting to hear and it truthfully not something I've ever given much thought to. It's interesting to think about and, and, and gave me a totally different perspective on having those cameras. For the listener who sent this in, sounds like it worked out for him and so glad because what a absolute nightmare to go through this person unfortunately who jumped in front of his truck was obviously struggling and that's awful but he turned his struggle into he it then became somebody else's yeah that person likely and i don't know i've never been suicidal but that person likely was not thinking of course about what struggle they're gonna cause on other people truck driver they're just trying to die sure but of course it has repercussions that i mean most people wouldn't think of terrible so really appreciate him sharing that um before we get into the sense of place i just want to go ahead and put this right at the top this episode is one of the most difficult that i've come across and researched uh I don't know what this says about me, but in all of the 28 episodes that we've covered, I have never uh, gotten emotional or cried or or really had a hard time when researching them. I mean, they're all hard, but this one, I had I was working on this earlier this week and had to stop and step away. It's it's an intense episode. It involves children. If that's something that you think might be triggering or difficult for you, I'd advise to skip this. I'm out. <laughs> All right. So before we do our sense of place, this has this pertains to the episode. I'm going to ask you, do you know, uh, this is a Spanish word. Do you know what it means? It's called a curandero. I mean, no. Curandero. I, no. All I can think of is Kieran Culkin, which <laughs> has nothing to do with anything. So Love I'm not him. even going there. Okay. I don't know. Just tell me. Okay, so if I tell you this, a curandero comes from the Spanish word curar, which means to heal. A healer. Yeah, a healer. (laughs) I mean, you literally told me the answer there, (laughs) so I can't take too much credit. 
Well, it's a like folk... a spiritual heal- yes. healer. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. A curandero is a traditional native healer or shaman found primarily in Latin American countries. There are many different types of curanderos. Your barrows are primarily herbalists. Huseros are bone and muscle therapists who em- emphasize physical ailments. Other types include sobadors, who are masseuses, masseurs, and brujos or brujas, who are witch Witches. doctors. Yeah. yeah. Brujas. Brujas. I love that. Yeah. I'm going to name my next animal Bruja. I like that too. Yeah. I wanted to put that term out here before we jump into the episode because it is pertinent to this episode. Um, yeah, I was about to say, why are we talking about Brujas? Yes. So that's it. That's all. I just wanted to stick that out there so it sticks in your mind when we're going through this. Today's episode takes place in a place called Brownsville, Texas. Have you ever heard of that? Never. Brownsville is located in the southernmost tip of Texas in Cameron County. It's situated on the Gulf Coast near the border of Mexico. It's part of the Rio Grande Valley region in terms of climate, subtropical climate, mild winters, hot summers. Um, It is a relatively low elevation. The highest point is about 43 feet above sea level. So very, very low elevation. And as of 2020, the population was around 183,000 people. It is the 16th largest city in Texas, so not super large, not super... I don't really know. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of cities in Texas. 16th largest? It's just the 16th largest. There you go. Brownsville is known to be one of the poorer, more poverty-ridden cities, not only in Texas, but in the United States. There was a book written by an author, Laura Tillman, that has a lot to do with this case that we're going to talk about today. And a quote from her says, Brownsville is one of the poorest cities in the United States and has ranked several times as the poorest metro area in the U.S. Because of that and because of its location on the U.S.-Mexico border, there's this sense that it's its own place. It's not quite the United States and it's not quite Mexico. It's something else. And it really is. It's it's right there on the border. We're right there to some people. So I want to know, like, driving-wise, is it right there or is it an hour away? It is two miles. The distance oh. between Brownsville, Texas, and Matavor- Matamoros, oh. Mexico is two miles. Okay. It's basically without crossing borderlines, country lines. It's the same place. Exactly. Whether it's due to being on the border or not, I'm going to go ahead and say that it is due to it. There is an extremely high crime rate in Brownsville compared to the national average here in the U.S. Drug trafficking is rampant. There's a ton of property crime. And of course, while law enforcement is making every effort to keep the community safe, it still is one of the most dangerous and crime-ridden cities in the country. Um, for context, the crime index ranking for United States cities, 100 is the safest. Brownsville is rated 19. And that's about as much about Brownsville as we're going to get into with this because... I think the episode speaks for itself and I just don't want to spend too much time creating kind of an environment. I just want to, I want to get into the story. Don't miss what happens next in today's episode. We'll be right back after a short message from our sponsors. Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? 
Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay. So I have not told you anything about this story, and I'm not going to. We're just going to get right into it right now. When John Allen Rubio and Angela Camacho met in 2001, it set in motion a series of sinister events that culminated with one final incident in 2003 that was so horrific it would send shockwaves not only through the city of Brownsville, but across the entire state of Texas and the country. Angela Camacho was born in Mexico and illegally immigrated to the United States. She settled in Brownsville and had a child with one man and then became pregnant soon after by another man who allegedly was quite abusive. She was believed to be fairly developmentally challenged, although there are no official uh, reports or statements that kind of can further define that. The child. No. Angela. Oh, the mom. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There, there's nothing official about that, but you'll learn as the story goes on that she was, many people believe that she was challenged developmentally. The only actual evidence of that is her IQ. When she was 14 years old, uh, she had an IQ of 62. And by the time that she was about 24 years old, that dropped to 51, which is uh, pretty low. It's one thing to have a low IQ score, but why? What'd you say? How many years later? 10 years or whatever? Mm -hmm. It went down 10 points or nine points. Yeah. 62 to 51. Mm -hmm. And that can happen due to drug use. Getting hit over the head. Absolutely. Both of those things were, were part of her life. Drug use and being hit over the head because she had an abusive partner who was the father of her second child. That's really the majority that we know about Angela Camacho. So John Allen Rubio grew up in Brownsville. He was surrounded his entire life by superstition, a dysfunctional family. Uh, There was drug abuse, alcoholism. According to him, uh, his mother and grandmother were both practitioners of witchcraft. They were also both long-term drug users, alcoholics, and prostitutes. He had three brothers growing up, one older and two younger. According to John Allen, his mother began pimping him out at a very young age, as young as eight years old. And it was natural for him to kind of follow in his family's footsteps and become a prostitute, making money through selling himself for sex, which was his mother's suggestion and she kind of pushed him into it. He had a few run-ins with the law over minor drug charges. He was also diagnosed with some emotional problems, but none of which prohibited him from completing his high school education. He did graduate from high school in Brownsville, but they did prohibit him from participating in the ROTC program to which he applied several times. He, according to friends and family, had a very bad habit of huffing. And for those who don't know, huffing involves inhaling the fumes from spray paint, solvents, or other common household chemicals in order to get a quick but often lethal high. And long-term users of inhalants or long-term huffers can often suffer from severe depression, mood changes, weight loss, lack of coordination, irritability, and in some cases, permanent brain damage. Yeah, loss of brain cells is what I was thinking. Angela, on the other hand, was not known to use drugs or inhalants at all, really. But like I said, she was believed to have a slight mental handicap and a very low IQ. According to those that knew her, she tended to be a follower who usually went along with whatever someone told her to do. She seemed somewhat incapable of thinking for herself. 
The one thing that both John Allen and Angela did have in common was that they had both been born into and raised in horrible poverty. And this is likely what contributed to the fact that after Angela left the father of the child that she was one month pregnant with, her second child, in 2001, and she met John Allen through a mutual friend, they instantly felt a connection to each other and quickly began dating. Initially, the two lived in an apartment with John Allen's mother and several of his brothers, but when that arrangement ended, they had nowhere to go and were living on the street with Angela's one child, and she was pregnant with another. In January of 2002, her second child was born, and they named the child John after John Allen, because even though it wasn't his, he loved Angela and felt prepared to kind of raise her child as his own. The two eventually moved into an apartment that had no electricity, no running water. It was a two-story apartment building, badly dilapidated. The building was painted white, but it was so badly aged that it was hard to tell if it was actually gray or white. And I have some pictures that I'll have to show you because it's, it's a building that you look at and you just know it's not good. But it's all they could afford, I assume. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. It was it was not a great place. There was graffiti everywhere, very run down, broken windows, as I said, no running water or electricity. They were really living in absolute squalor. They were poverty stricken and, and poverty is even unfortunately probably a generous word to give this. The apartment was three hundred and fifty dollars a month. In rent and they had at least six adults living there and contributing to the rent it was John Allen and Angela John Allen's mother and who was a prostitute so she had a regular boyfriend but she also had other boyfriends who were occasionally there a few of her prostitute friends and a transgender prostitute named Lorena uh, who lived there also with her boyfriend um, so there was, at any given time, at least six people who were contributing to this $350 rent per month, and they were still struggling to, to make that. It was a tough time, to say the least, for Angela and John Allen. She, like I said, already had one child, had just given birth to another one that, that he was lovingly taking on as his own kid, and he was also trying to raise her first kid, her first child, as his own. He, you know, felt strongly that he loved Angela, her kids are his kids, even if they weren't biologically his. In the summer of 2002, the baby was born in January. So summer following that, CPS, Child Protective Services, came to the home and removed Angela's first child, Julissa, and the baby, John, from the home and placed them with Angela's mother. At this point, Angela was... Wasn't Angela's mother living with them? John's mother was. Okay, thank yeah. you. At this point, Angela was pregnant now with a third child who was biologically John Allen's soon-to-be child. Apparently, th there was various reasons as to why people believe that CPS was called. Um, neighbors repeatedly called the police due to late-night fighting and screaming coming from the apartment. Someone reported that John Allen was huffing spray paint when the children were home. And then at another point, they had taken Julissa and John Jr., or baby John, to the clinic, the local clinic, for a checkup. And the clinic had found that they were all malnourished, had dirty clothes, um, scabs from mosquito bites, things like that. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You, you said the word squalor, and that, to me, like kind of highlighted even, um, it sounds like there was more going on. And also, like, that's enough to tip Raise people, flag. people that are in tune with, you know, those children. Sure. Yeah. It's situational, but even just when I was teaching, I worked with kids who would come to school multiple days in a row wearing the same clothes. And that, you know, through my training working in a school like that, it was, I was told like, you ha you need to report that. There's a problem at home if, if you notice that. So even something which, I don't want to say mild because that's terrible and a big deal, but. Well, maybe once in a while, it's just a kid that fucking refuses to change sure. their clothes. Sure, 
also good to look into it. And Absolutely. if you find that out, hallelujah. Exactly. Right. So, um, but I, it, it was difficult for me to kind of narrow it down to one specific issue. There were issues and CPS was called in the summer of 2002, uh, removed Julissa and John Jr. He was not actually called John Jr., but I'm going to call him that just for sake of understand differentiating him from John Allen, the father, not biological. In order to get Julissa and John Jr. back, Angela and John Allen uh, were required to take parenting classes, find more adequate housing, and they ha- and John Allen had to obtain employment and submit periodic drug testing for several months to show that he was not using drugs. So, as I said, I'd imagine that huffing um, accusation probably pay- played a part in this. After about four months, they did accomplish all of these things. And CPS returned Julissa and John Jr. to the couple in the fall of 2002. Soon after that, however, John Allen unfortunately lost the job that he had found, which I I don't know what job he found, but he didn't have it for very long. He had it long enough to get the kids back, lost it, and uh, quickly again allegedly picked up his substance abuse. In January of 2003... Angela had her third child, Mary Jane, and John Allen was the biological father. They named Mary Jane, Mary Jane, um, after marijuana. Uh, According to Angela, John Allen was doing whatever he could to bring in money at this point. He was washing cars occasionally, but mainly he went back to his earlier uh, years of prostituting himself to make money. They still had trouble coming up with enough money to take care of the family and had John's mother living there still three men who were friends of John's mother it it sounds like people were kind of coming and going yeah at all times and they were just getting money uh, however and wherever they could Angela was apparently aware that John Allen was prostituting himself to make money and also had apparently a male lover, Jose Luis Moreno, who often provided John Allen with money, groceries. Uh, He unfortunately also provided him with spray paint for huffing to get high because Angela said she would come home and find multiple spray paint cans around the apartment and have to throw them out. She was upset by the situation and often threatened to leave John Allen if he didn't end his affair. But she also then would come around to the fact that they needed this um, Jose Luis that John was having an affair with because he was helping to pay the rent, helping to provide them with food. So they were clearly under significant stress, financial and otherwise, it sounds like. But at this point, at least they had CPS was regularly checking in and it seemed that the children were adequately nourished being taken care of at least to the standards of CPS where they were comfortable leaving them there. John Allen and Angela often walked with the children to a nearby charity that served lunch and dinner Monday through Friday. Um, They also received benefits from the Women, Infants, and Children's Program, and they were on food stamps. They were making ends meet however they could, basically. No, I get that. I just suddenly felt a wave of sadness for these people. It's very sad. Yeah, I'm so happy. Happy Friday. Yeah, it's very, very sad. In early March of 2003, John Allen and Angela received a notice informing them that Julissa's food stamp benefits would be terminated because there was an issue with her social security number. They also recently found out that they were slated to lose their Medicaid benefits. So on March 9th, the entire family, John Allen, Angela, Julissa, John Jr., and Mary Jane, went to the hospital to get a copy of Julissa's records. They were hoping to clear up this kind of social security issue and and be able to receive food stamps for Julissa again. But unfortunately, the hospital could not provide them with the records that they needed to correct the problem. They left the hospital feeling very upset, worried, concerned. They headed to the bus stop and they had no solution to this kind of increasingly dire situation that they were in. While on the bus, John Allen turned to Angela and started telling her that 
He believed everyone around them was trying to hurt them. In recent weeks, he had been growing increasingly paranoid and seemed to be nearing a, a mental breakdown of sorts, but Angela was not, she was either not mentally capable of recognizing this or she was in denial about his mental instability at this point. And or somewhere in between of like numbed out on drugs, checked out, dissociated. Definitely somewhere in between was probably more accurate. Um, On the bus, he told Angela that the woman that they saw waiting at the bus stop before they got on was trying to steal his money and wanted his money. He was he was showing all these signs of extreme paranoia. A little girl on the bus apparently offered a piece of candy to their son, John Jr., but John Allen would not allow his son to accept it because he thought it might be poisoned. Uh, When they finally got off the bus, a woman with dark, she had several dark marks on her forehead. Uh, She made a rude gesture, allegedly, towards Angela. And John Allen immediately turned towards Angela and said, this woman has the mark of the devil on her, the evil eye. We have to get home because she's putting a curse on us. Angela believed him and began crying, grabbed the children, and they ran several blocks until they got to their apartment. Once they got home, John Allen decided to to take an egg and and run it over Julissa's forehead, her her face, and then crack it into a glass of water. Apparently, this is um, a kind of ritual that can determine if you have been cursed. I wonder what it looks like if you have been cursed. Is there like a... Um, That's such a good question. Well, yeah. What are we looking for? I, d- I don't know what we're looking for and that is something that I should have looked into. Maybe I'll have to add it in here. Yeah. So we recorded this after the fact. If you just heard us, we were talking about the the egg cleanse or what this actually is. And we didn't know. I tried to look it up. Anyways... We looked it up after the fact. We're going to tell you about it now. So an egg limpia is an egg cleansing. Well, limpia means to clean. It does. Or limpiar means to clean. Exactly. I have that written down. Yeah. So I found an article that really, really outlines this well. So a limpias con huevo is an egg cleanse. And it's deeply rooted in respect for its ability to remove dark and dense energies. It can be performed by a healer, a curandero. It's part of curanderismo, which we talked about. I know I'm not saying any of this necessarily properly, but I'm trying. Um, A spiritual practitioner, or you can even perform it yourself. You don't have to have superpowers to do it. Um, Is it a raw egg? It is. And it basically, it's the reasons are if you um, have had a recent bout of brain fog or you have unexpected depression, you question why you're feeling physically lethargic or you're just trying to stay on top of your kind of spiritual health. I mean, who can't fall into any of those, even just trying to stay on top of something? Totally, of course. well-being. And so... Um, I guess in Latinx culture, stories of someone receiving a mal de ojo, evil eye, is not uncommon. And egg cleanses are often used to remove this evil eye. Um, it is believed that the egg is a capsule that absorbs negative energy from the body and the aura. This is why the egg is rubbed over either all over the body or over the forehead, over parts of the body while performing the actual ritual. Um You'll want to, when you perform it, you'll want to set the intention that you wish for the egg to reveal to you if any uh, mal de ojo has been sent your way. Evil eye has been sent your way. Cleansing all the negative evil eye energy. Right. And so how you do it is you get an egg, you get a clear cup, glass or plastic. And this is interesting. You get either Florida water or water with salt. I'm guessing ocean water. Make sure it's cold, not warm. You can use any type of egg, organic, large, small, brown, doesn't matter. You say a prayer over your egg and you set the intention for what you want the egg to do to remove, um, you know, the evil eye or if you speak, seek spiritual guidance. You hold the egg in both hands in front of your heart as you set your intention. You can say it out loud or in your head. And then you give gratitude to the egg for its assistance in the process. And then 
you cleanse the egg. You don't crack it, but you wash it gently with the salt water. Not too much, just enough until you feel it's been cleansed, almost like a baptism. And then you fill uh, the cup with more water, make sure it's room temperature, fill it up 75%. Needs to be a clear cup so you can see your results. So um, now you perform the egg limpia. You gently run the egg from top to bottom on or over your body. In the case of this story, they ran the egg just over Julissa's forehead. Um, And then you, so after you finish that, you crack the egg directly into your cup of water. You place the eggshells aside, not in the cup, and you allow the egg to sink to the bottom of the glass, which it will naturally do. You let it sit, the egg yolk sit unbothered for five to 10 minutes. Do not move the cup, don't touch it, nothing. And now you read your results. If you see bubbles, many small bubbles, this is generally a good sign. It means that it was successful and you've had spiritual assistance from positive entities. Bigger bubbles represent gossip and individuals that are keeping an eye on you. Um, They're invested in you and trying to protect you. If you see see yolk strings that are hanging from the top of the surface down through the water, uh, they sometimes connect directly back to the oak, to the yolk, um, or stop midway. But these are karmic cords with people that need to be cut. So that's a less positive um, reading. It's a helpful reading, it sounds like. Yes. And also, but it you means have to go that there on detective dumb, yeah. detective dumb of who in my life. Right. If you have a lot of relationships, connections, who do I have to cut? Right. Or, sh- or would it be beneficial to cut? You don't have to do anything. But that's interesting. It also initially reminded me of like saging the home. I, we should do it. Do you have an egg? I do. I have many eggs. Oh, I yes. can do it. And I think I have a clear, well, I, of course I have clear cups. <laughs> All right, let's, let's get back to the episode. So they swept an egg over Julissa's face, cracked it into a glass of water. And after looking at the results, John Allen said that it wasn't what they wanted to see and that someone had definitely done something evil to Julissa. Angela was scared. She didn't understand fully what was going on and said that she wasn't able to sleep that night. They were so frightened, in fact, by the results of the egg test that they considered taking the entire family to a motel uh, because they thought that, that the evil had infiltrated their apartment. But they couldn't find John Allen's wallet. They thought that earlier that day, an acquaintance who had come to the apartment, because like I said, people were in and out of here all day, uh, they thought it had been stolen, which not only meant they couldn't go to a motel, but then they realized that the missing wallet also contained their share of that month's rent, which was due the next day. So at this point, they are in full panic mode. Sounds like they kind of already were in panic paranoia mode. Very much so. And it's just heightening, heightening, heightening. Around 2 a.m. that night, early morning, uh, early morning of March 10th, Angela was in the bedroom and she heard John Allen's mother come into the apartment through the front door. She overheard John Allen asking his mother for her share of the rent, to which his mother said, I I don't have it. John Allen also asked his mother, remember he thought she was a witch or involved in witchcraft at least. Did he just think she was? It's okay if you don't know, but like, did she, I wonder, did he just think she was or did she put it out there? That she I'm did. A, she did. I'm going to get this wrong, but like a brew, brew, a bruja. bruja. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she did. Or her and his grandmother. It was something, whether it was true uh, or not, it was something that they put she out. She identified in the, as yes, that. It yes. doesn't matter true or not. She yes. put forth. He just didn't conjugate this in his mind. Or absolutely. Cultivate this in his mind. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So uh, he asked her. After she said, I don't have my part of the rent, he said, okay, I believe that we have been, the evil spirits have been put upon us and I need you to help, help me fight them off. Uh, His mother said, no, I'm not going to help you with that. You have the power to do this yourself and you're going to have to use your power to take care of this. Around 3 a.m. she left the apartment, so after about an hour. She said, let me get out of here because I don't have my rent. (laughs) A few hours later... Still early morning hours, 5, 6 a.m. 
Angela heard John Allen nailing the back door shut. When she asked him why, he said it's to keep bad spirits from entering the apartment. Angela then witnessed John Allen flushing the family hamsters down the toilet after he killed them with a hammer because he believed that they had also been possessed and infiltrated by evil spirits. He then started talking to Angela about the Antichrist and an approaching battle between seven good men and seven bad men. He assured Angela that he was one of the good men. You don't want to miss what happens next in today's murder story, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after a short message from our sponsors. You know I'm holding back so many questions. Like, this is torture. This event, murder, is torture to hear. Sure, or not torture, I'm sorry, but, like, it's awful to hear. But also, there's... Like, you're talking about the Antichrist and Bruja. I have, I'm not even writing it all down. Yeah, I've, tons of questions. Oh, my yeah. God. Okay, so say that again. Antichrist and the seven... Good men and seven bad men. Wow. And this is, again, from the mind and mouth of a man who is believed to be, after the fact, of course, but believed to be on the brink of a complete mental break from reality and highly paranoid. I get that I'm not saying this is logical, reasonable, based in truth, sure. but also this is, there's something there. Like, Absolutely. Uh, yes. Yeah. There's just things I'm interested to yes. find out about. So that was early the morning of March 10th, 2003. On March 11th, 2003, in the evening, Officer Efren Cervantes was en route to a domestic disturbance call when he was waved down by a male and female who were hysterical on the side of the road. They were later identified as Maria Alvarez and Jose Rubio. When Officer Cervantes pulled over, Maria, in Spanish, said, the babies are dead. Jose said, they have no heads. Officer Cervantes asked, what they were talking about, where is this, what's going on. Maria and Jose, both still hysterical, said this is near the Boys and Girls Club in a white apartment building on the corner of 8th and East Tyler Street. He asked them to get inside his car and to direct him to the location about what they were talking about. They did. While en route to this uh, apart white apartment building, they repeated several times, in Spanish, they have no heads. A few minutes later, Officer Cervantes, Maria, and Jose arrived at the apartment building. He, before getting out of the car, he alerted dispatch of his location and requested backup. Him and Jose then proceeded to the apartment door. There was no identifiable number on the door, and Jose knocked. A man opened the door and invited them both inside. All he said initially was the kids. As Officer Cervantes entered the apartment, very cautiously, he looked around and observed that it was filthy. There was dirty clothes, garbage strewn throughout. It was in complete disarray. He also observed a female sitting on a small futon, staring at the floor, refusing to look up. As he moved slowly further into the apartment, he heard Jose, the man, the hysterical man on the side of the road who he picked up, he heard Jose said, tell him, tell him. The man who opened the door and the woman sitting on the futon were later identified as John Allen and Angela. John Allen sat down next to Angela on the futon and very quietly said to Officer Cervantes, the kids are in the back room. Even though backup had not yet arrived, Officer Cervantes was concerned, concerned for his safety and the safety of these apparent children that he was hearing about. So he decided to proceed, even without backup, to the back room. He entered a small hallway and was immediately hit with a strong odor of cleaning supplies, mostly bleach. 
He came upon a small room to his right and peered in. He saw a small bed with no sheets, a crib next to the bed, and what appeared to be the body of an infant on the bed without a head. For a split second, he thought this might be a doll, but he quickly realized that it was not a doll. In a statement he later made, he said, I just saw the jagged marks around the neck and realized that this could not possibly be a doll. Horrified, he immediately got on his radio and notified dispatch of a homicide decapitation and backed out of the hallway and room, making sure not to touch or disturb anything in the process. When he made it back into the main room, he immediately asked John Allen what happened. John Allen simply sighed, stood up, and said, arrest me. Officer Cervantes ushered everyone calmly out of the apartment and into the parking lot to avoid contaminating the scene. As they exited the apartment, two more officers, Officer Renteria and Officer Cardell, arrived on the scene. He asked them to help cuff John Allen and detain him in the police car for everyone's safety. A few minutes later, two detectives and the police sergeant arrived on the scene and he advised them of what he had seen in the apartment and he re-entered the apartment taking them with him and leading him to the room where he discovered the body at a later statement he said we went back into where the baby boy was found at that point the officers could see that the house was in disarray it was dirty everything was dirty everything was dingy there were plastic bags and clothes everywhere there was a plastic bag in the room that i hadn't seen the first time i walked in it was at the entry of the doorway towards the foot of the bed. It was a shiny black trash bag. It looked brand new. I reached down and felt it upon the second time that he had come in. It felt round, and I thought to myself, this has to be the baby's head. I reached over and was able to open the bag slightly, and I could see that in this bag there were two other bodies, also headless. So what fell around then if it was bodies? Well, there was two bags. His statement is a little bit um, difficult to understand. I think probably because he was in shock and horrified when he made the statement. There was two bags. One of them, yes, was round and was the baby's head. And then there was another bag. Additional bodies. That had the bodies of three-year-old Julissa and two-month-old Mary Jane. This is terrible. Yeah. The Julissa and Mary Jane's heads were found in a separate bag. Uh, Officer Cervantes exited the apartment at this point, and the detectives and criminal investigation division secured the suspects, the scene, and began to take over. These investigators were appalled by what they found when they entered the apartment. There were multiple blood pools and stains in the kitchen and on the floors, a bucket filled with bloody water, bloody knives discovered in the kitchen and bedroom, and blood-soaked clothing worn by, assumed to have been worn by John Allen and Angela. Police Chief Carlos Garcia said, these people lived in extremely poor conditions. There's clothes, trash, all sorts of things thrown all over. It's very poor very very poor the worst conditions that anyone could ever imagine living in the apartment was a chaotic mess there were toys shopping carts empty water bottles cluttering every single space and creating a labyrinth for the investigators to work through to try and navigate and collect evidence but as the night went on the investigators persisted and continued to collect evidence with one question echoing among every single person who was involved. Why did this happen? Why? Okay, guys. So I know that we promised we wouldn't have any more two-parters for a while, but truthfully, as I was editing the last 45 minutes of this, it's just too heavy. It's extremely graphic and disturbing and considering what we just read at the end of this episode 
even for my own kind of well-being right now, um, continuing to listen and edit this, I need a break and I want to get this episode out to you. So this is going to be a two-parter and to find out what happened with John Allen and Angela, you will have to listen next week. Um, There is a chance that we will get the remainder of this episode up on Patreon at some point before then. But either way, it's a two-parter, and I apologize for that. Hoping you understand. We will have a bonus episode on Monday and then the second part of this. So thank you guys so much for listening. Since Jenna is not here, because this was kind of a game-time decision by me, I will say please hug your loved ones, hug your pets, Take care of yourself, and we will look forward to having you join us next week for part two. Thanks so much for listening. Death by Southwest is hosted by Jenna Schneider and Margot Carmichael. Executive produced by Margot Carmichael. Produced by Jenna Schneider. Audio editing and sound design by Margot Carmichael. Music by Soundstripe. And a special thanks to Edward R. Murrow for letting us borrow his famous sign-off phrase, good night and good luck. Good night.